invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to the book of Hebrews, and we'll be in chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5. The title of my message this morning is Christian Coaching. Hebrews chapter 5, we'll see the writer uh, here, uh, most likely Barnabas, we don't know for sure, but it seems to be the most likely candidate, uh, Barnabas encouraging the church, uh, reminding them of just uh, both pointing out some painful realities in their own life and things that need to be changed, but encouraging them that, that, that God is, um, is just and God will be faithful. Uh, he has been, if you remember, in chapter 4 and in 5, he's been talking about Jesus as a great high priest. We looked at that last time, and uh, what a blessing it is to have a high priest, someone who, who acts on behalf of men before God, reconciling men with God. We want to celebrate Jesus, the high priest, and he wants to go on and talk about a specific aspect of uh, the glory of Jesus as a high priest, and that is that Jesus is not an Aaronic high priest. He does, he's not from the line of Aaron. Uh, Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and most of you, you are going, oh, that's awesome, that's right. Uh, no, the truth is, most of you are saying, okay, so what? Well, he's going to tell them, so what? But he notices as, he, as he's talking, he, the, the, the Spirit is, is reminding him who he's talking to maybe, or, or maybe he tried to have a conversation with him about this, and he just saw their eyes glaze over, and so he's going to pause for a moment and address something, and that's what we're on this morning. So let's pick it up uh, at chapter, 11, it's chapter 5, verse 11. So if you just if you let your eyes drift up just a bit, Verse 9 of chapter 5, being made perfect, he, that is Jesus, became the source of, of salvation, eternal salvation, to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then chapter 7, he's going to pick that up. Right now, about this, verse 11, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of, the in, of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt." For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. 
Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Let's bow in prayer. God in heaven, this is your word given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church. And I pray that you'd give us ears to hear, to really hear, uh, to hear God addressing us this morning. As you speak, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been paying attention to the sports page of the Detroit Free Press, you know that Stan Van Gundy is angry. Uh, He's disappointed and frustrated. Stan Van Gundy is the coach and the general manager of the Detroit Pistons, and they're having a rough season. Uh, He made a big trade about uh, about two weeks ago, got Blake Griffin from uh, uh, from the L.A. Clippers, And um, that seemed to bear immediate fruit. The team went on a a four-game winning streak. Uh, But then uh, they had a three-game losing streak because Griffin's not shooting well, and and, um, his age seems to be catching up with him, and the other players, the people aren't stepping up, and the team as a whole seems indisposed to playing defense. And uh, so Van Gundy sat there in front of the reporters and just expressed his frustration. He sees a goal in mind, and he wants the team to get there, but he doesn't know how to, how to make it happen, and it, and it doesn't seem to be catching. Well, as I read that, I realized that being a pastor is much like being an NBA coach, in many ways, actually. <clears throat> Not that many, but a few. Here's one. <clears throat> Uh, Pastoring like coaching is the art of motivating. Uh, As a pastor, you see a desired goal, a desired end. And that end is uh, a new heaven and a new earth. That's what, as a pastor, you want to see uh, the congregation move towards and attain. That's that's what it's all about. Uh, The coach sees a championship. We see eternal rewards. But both the pastor and the coach then are, are looking to find ways to motivate and encourage and help people attain the goal. And, and part of that is pointing out the things that will, that will undercut that goal, undermine that goal. Well, Hebrews is a pastoral letter. The whole point of, of Hebrews is to motivate and encourage God's people because the, the author, the, the coach here, Barnabas, has a clear goal in mind. He's talked about it. There remains then for God's people a Sabbath rest, the rest of God, this eternal satisfaction and enjoyment of God and all that he has done. That is out there for you. And he's reminded them, don't don't fall away from that. Don't depart from that. Don't be right on the border and fail to get in because of unbelief. But, but everyone in the church, then you see, uh, he'll talk about, uh, has this obligation to mutual coaching. So chapter 313, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This isn't just the coach, the pastor's job. Everyone has a calling here. Let us consider how to stir up one another, chapter 10, 24. 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so that's our calling to one another, to help each other in this pilgrim life, to gain the goal of a new heaven and a new earth. And, and what we have here this morning is a, is a Holy Spirit-inspired model of what Christian coaching looks like. How do we go about this ministry of encouraging one another and stirring one another up so that we, we gain the goal? Let me just point out a few things from our text this morning. I encourage you to keep your Bible open so that you can be tracking with me in the text. The, the first thing that Barnabas, or the writer here, does is he defines a problem. He identifies and clearly defines a problem. Remember, he's been talking about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Uh, Jesus Christ, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he says, I want to talk to you about those things, but there's an obstacle here. I've got a lot to say about this, verse 11, but it's hard to explain, not because it's such an intricate uh, issue, doctrinal idea, but it's hard to explain because, you, because there's dullness of hearing. There's a, there's a failure here that he wants to point out. Uh, I'm sure that you've had conversations like this, maybe recently, where, where you're trying to communicate something, and maybe something even important, to another person. Um, but you, you don't think it's getting through. You know that your voice is working. You can hear the sounds coming out of your mouth, and you're quite sure that the sounds are entering into the ear. But it doesn't seem to be registering. Something's not clicking. It's not really getting through. You can tell by the body language. And, and maybe this is moms when you're talking to your children. Or, or um, boys and girls, have you ever, have you ever uh, been talking to mom or dad? Mom, 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 mom. Because, because it's not getting in. Maybe this has been a conversation you've had with your husband or wife. It's a very frustrating experience. When, you're, when you want to communicate something and, and the other person simply can't hear or won't hear, whatever it might be. And, and the writer here has had that experience with these Christians. He's communicating magnificent things. But there's a glaze over their eyes. They're, 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 you know, they're checking their iPads and phones or whatever. They're, they're looking out at the counting the slats in the ceiling. They're, they're not tuned in. Howell Jones says, uh, dullness here, the word for dull, denotes sluggishness. Applied to the realm of Christian truth, it is a failure to appreciate and to respond appropriately to the word. This is neither a physical disability nor an intellectual limitation. It's a moral, mental failure. Because to hear, the way the Bible talks about hearing, is not just to listen, but to understand and obey. So dull hearing means that even though you hear the sounds of the gospel and of the word of God, it doesn't really register it's just sound it's like living next to the expressway <clears throat> when you first move in it's all you hear and then after a while you can't hear it at all it's just white noise it's just background noise and uh, that dullness happens in the church so that the heart isn't 
receiving and responding to what the ears are hearing. The truth doesn't grip you of God and the glory of Christ and, and, and the wonder of all that, that God is and all that God has done. It, it doesn't move you. It doesn't stir you. And you hear the word and you hear the promises, but your heart doesn't rush to embrace the promises. You don't, you don't move towards them to stand on them and feed on them. It's one of the dangers of being familiar with the things of God and growing up in the church. All these things become white noise. And, and, and Grand Rapids has so many people like this, people who've grown up in the church, People who know biblical truth and can recite biblical ideas and, and, and attend biblical churches. But the, but the truth is not responded to appropriately. What does appropriate response to the word look like? Well, you find many things in Scripture you could point to. You could go to Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth? So an appropriate response is delight. Or you could look at Isaiah 66, verse 2. This is the one I esteem. He who is lowly and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. So an appropriate response is trembling. You could look at Deuteronomy 32 where Moses is speaking to the people of Israel and he's saying, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today that you may command them to your children, teach them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of the law. These are no empty words to you. This is your life. Appropriate response is to submit yourself to the word of God and, and to see it as your life. You find an appropriate response in Acts 13, verse 48. Peter has preached the gospel to a home of, of Gentiles. And we're told that when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Those are appropriate biblical responses to the word. And let me ask you, how often does that happen in your life? Does, does the word of God, does the truth of God, does it have any of those do you, have, do you have those experiences when, you, when you're with the word, when you hear the word, when you read the word? Experience of, of conviction and trembling, experience of, of, oh, this is so good, it's so sweet to my mouth. Experience of, of rejoicing and glorifying God because of his truth. You see, when the, when the word of God doesn't look like light and it doesn't taste like bread, when, when, we, when we can't drink it like water for our soul, then there's dullness of hearing. And it doesn't matter if you believe what it says. If you assent to the doctrines. If there's dullness of hearing, the doctrine isn't moving you. It's not transforming you. It's not changing you. Now, that's very common. And it can happen, it happens for all of us from time to time in our Christian life where we just find a deadness of heart. We know it's true. It just, it doesn't feel important. It doesn't feel meaningful. Everything, other things feel more important. Like, like what's on Craigslist or, or what's going on in the sporting world or what's happening with, with relationships 
or what's going on with work. You see, all those other things, are, they rise to the top of, uh, as far as what we value and what we think about. And, and, and God and his word just settles way down in the background somewhere. So that's common, but it can't be constant, you see. The writer here is saying, listen, this is what is going on, and he's writing to move them. Because, because there's fruit, there's bad fruit that comes from dull hearing, and he points uh, to it here. Uh, what you get are immature believers. In verses 12 through 14, he just shows that what happens when, when people aren't hearing in an appropriate way, you get baby Christians, immature Christians, people who, who uh, they in, inhabit adult bodies, but they have infantile spirits or souls or, or infantile faith. And it's not attractive. And it's dangerous. So he says, verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles, the ABCs of the Christian faith. You need milk. Not solid food. It's so cute when a little baby sits there in their um, little chair or their little, their little bed and, and they have their little bottle and, and they're drinking their milk and it's so cute. Uh, you put a 33-year-old in there and it changes everything. <laughs> and that's what's happening. Here's adult Christians just sucking on their little baby bottle of Christian doctrine and Christian practice. They're confused about the absolute basics. The writer lists some here in, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. Repentance and faith. That's pretty basic. Do you have to repent to be a Christian? Do you have to repent to be saved? Yeah, you do. You actually do. And, and what, what do you really need to believe? Well, there, there are several things. You actually have, you have to believe in order to be a Christian. If you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. These are the ABCs. What about ordinations and resurrection and, and eternal judgment? He says hey, you, people are still talking about the basics and, and arguing or thinking about and questioning the basics. You need milk. And babies, you see, the, the, immature Christians lack discernment. He speaks specifically about this gift of, of discernment that, that happens um, when it's trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that would be, you're training yourself both um, to distinguish good and evil, both in the realm of theology and practice. Discernment is not um, something that the American church is known for. And increasingly seems to be losing the desire to do, much less the ability to, to do. If you look at the top 10 best-selling authors of 2017 Christian books, you'll find that um, in the top 10, uh, there's several by Sarah Young with her promotion of extra-biblical revelation. There's uh, one uh, by William Young with his shack, the shack uh, in his heretical views of God. William Young doesn't even go to church anymore. Uh, Joel Osteen has several books in the top 100. Sarah Young has, uh, I think, eight in the top 100, including an adult uh, Jesus calling uh, coloring book. Now, that's really appropriate. An adult coloring book uh, on Jesus calling. It's ex it, I think it just captures exactly what he's talking about. In the list of the top 100 books, I couldn't find maybe three that I would want in my library. 
Now, that's not because we live in some rare air of theological orthodoxy. It's just the rest of it is health, wealth, and Jesus, your life coach, and uh, an outright rank heresy and, and, and foolishness. I think the number 10 best-selling book was Jokes for Young People. Now, I love a good joke. But that, it's, it's, it's frightening to see what the American church is buying. You see, what a baby will do is, think of a young toddler. With the same enthusiasm, they'll drink milk and they'll eat dirt. It's just true. They can't discern between one or the other. They'll enjoy both equally and they'll look at you strangely when you, when you try to clean out their mouth from dirt. Well, that's exactly what happens with immature believers. They'll they'll hear a a great scriptural truth and they'll delight in it and they'll hear rank heresy or something that's going to lead them astray and they will equally delight in it. Why? Because they don't discern. Why don't they discern? Because they haven't matured. They haven't gone on to the, the teaching of scripture. They've not trained themselves to discern between good and evil, and they don't like it when people say, well, that's bad. Take the dirt out of your mouth. That's what's going on in the church. That's what's going on in the early church. It's not a new thing. Spiritual maturity, you see, is is training yourself, discerning between good and evil, both theologically and in life practice. Some of the things that that we allow as the church in our personal lives, Christians a hundred years ago would be utterly shocked appalled at what we entertain ourselves with, how we spend our time. It wouldn't look like godliness to them. And it shouldn't look like godliness to us. One of the things the writer specifically says is, you ought to be teachers by this time. You ought to be teachers. Uh, One of the things that we don't do well in the Reformed community in general is disciple people so that they hear the truth, receive the truth, believe the truth, and then can go and teach the truth. Uh, we, we too easily turn hearers into consumers. And so, so the question that, that you'll ask yourself as you leave here is, did I enjoy that? Did that make sense to me? Was I blessed in some way? And those, those are not bad questions. But there's another question to ask is, what am I going to do with this? Who could I teach this to? He says, you ought to be teachers by this time. And there's something about teaching, you see, that helps cement those truths in your own life. One of the things, just to be frank, when we interview people for membership, uh, particularly from uh, the Reformed community of Grand Rapids, we are often surprised how hard it is for grown adults who've been in Reformed churches all their life to clearly enunciate the gospel. They've never been asked to enunciate the gospel. Never been asked to say, what do you believe about Jesus? And it's a big hurdle. Now, I blame for that, I blame the leaders, the pastors, including myself, for not, for not insisting that, that people grow up and learn how to, to teach. When we interview uh, men for offices or Sunday school teachers, we, we, we'll often find that good men can't clearly explain justification and sanctification and adoption and predestination. Can't can't clearly draw the lines and and explain it. Men who've been in church all of their life, they know the words, they, 
they have a, a vague sense of the meaning of it, but they couldn't tell you what it actually means. Now that's, friends, that's, that's dull hearing. That's, that's failure. You see, it matters because the teaching is essential. Back in Deuteronomy 32, when Moses says to the people, take these words to heart because you need to teach them to the children. Because otherwise, how will the children know? If, if they're not getting it from you, mom and dad, there is nothing that can happen in a Sunday school room or in a uh, high school theology class that is going to be able to overcome. Now, God can bless that, and he does, but it's going to be, we're going to be doing this because they're not getting it at home. I don't know how to say that more clearly. Remember, one of, the, one of the vows that Dan and Heather DeBoer just, just made this morning is, do you promise to diligently, diligently teach your child the principles of our holy Christian faith revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and summarized in the confession of faith and catechisms of this church? Now, let me ask you, parents, young parents and old parents, I don't care, have you read the Westminster Confession of Faith? Because you took a vow to teach it. Do you read your Bible? Because you took a vow to teach it. You took a vow before God and his people to teach it. So, let us then, let's be done with babyhood. The toddler stage. It wasn't that great. Let's move on to maturity. That's what the writer says. Verse 1, let us leave. And, and he's including himself in it. Let us. You see, he's not beating them over the head with it. Folks, let's go. Let's grow up. Let's move on to maturity in our doctrine and let's teach it to our children and, and teach it as God gives opportunity and let's exercise that discernment muscle and, and be able to, to uh, discern good from, from bad theology and life in life as well. Let's not leave each other dawdling on the couch of shallow religion. But let's build each other up. We have a foundation to stand on. We have a wonderful, wonderful message to believe and teach and a wonderful goal ahead of us, and let's pursue that because there's a danger for those who don't. And here the writer gets to, verse, in verse 4 through 8, uh, a, a passage of Scripture, maybe more than any other passage of Scripture, that has uh, brought consternation and fear to the hearts of God's people. Because the writer here talks about people who've had very strong spiritual experiences. They have uh, tasted the gift of, they've been enlightened, so the word of God has come to them, and, they, and they, they understand, in a sense, the truth of him. It makes sense. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. These people were plugged in. They were plugged into the worshiping community, and they, they saw God at work in that community. They heard about Jesus. They saw the Holy Spirit uh, doing his work, transforming lives. But the writer says, um, if they fall away, it's not possible to restore them. Now, um, what, what, is this, what is this really all about? Uh, the, I think the critical thing to remember here is he, the writer isn't saying, now, you watch it so that, right, um, because I, this is what I see happening. He doesn't use the second person pronoun here. He doesn't say you, you, you. He says those who. 
He's, he's just creating a category that they need to be aware of, a category of people who are in the church but not of the church, who, uh, per, who per, maybe profess Christ but are not truly in Christ, and the evidence is they fall away at some point from Christ. It's not about falling into sin. It's about falling away from Jesus. So um, John Brown says, this does not consist in an occasional falling into actual sin, however gross and aggravated, but in an open, total, determined renunciation of all the constituent principles of Christianity and a return to false religion or to determined infidelity or ungodliness. So that, that means when the devil comes after you've blown it and says to you, Hebrews 6, you're crucifying the Son of God all over again. You've gone too far this time. Uh, God is not willing. He, he's not going to give you the gift to repent. He's not willing to forgive you. You, you, you tell the devil he's, he's a poor exegete of Scripture. This is not about falling into grievous, aggravated sin. This is about knowing about Jesus, knowing the Word of God, and saying, I'm done with it. And walking away. This is Judas we're talking about. A man who belonged to the covenant community. He saw the, the work of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. He tasted of the heavenly gift. But when push came to shove, he rejected Christ. And he walked away. That's what the writer's talking about. And he, and he's, he brings it up, you see, because... People who live, um, who don't have that category, don't sense the danger of drifting. Uh, who ends up walking away? Judas, when he began as a disciple, had no intention of doing what he did three years later. So how did he get there? He did not lay hold of, he did not respond appropriately to what he was hearing, what he was seeing. He drifted. And his love for money was never really repented of. And so, end of the day, when, when the chips were, were, right, had to be cashed in, uh, Judas just realized he, he, he liked money and uh, self-preservation more than he liked Jesus. And that's, that's just a good thing for us to remember. There's a category of people who walk away, and the people in that category did not decide early on to walk away. They just decided uh, every, right, day after day after day not to take seriously the message. And then when the chips had to be cashed in, found they couldn't die to themselves. They couldn't die to their idol. And they walked away. That category has to be there. Because... Um, God sees. And the writer again reminds us in verse 6 and 7, the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop that's useful for those who cultivate it, they're blessed. Uh, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed. This is, just, this is John 15. My father's a gardener and he prunes. But if there's a branch that's not bearing fruit, he, he takes that branch, he throws it in this fire. This is the parable of the, the fruitless fig tree where, where Jesus says, cut it down. The farmer comes and says, you know, let's, let's give it one more year. Let's put some fertilizer around it. We'll water it and let's give it one more year. And, and the, the owner says, okay, one more year. But if it doesn't bear fruit after all these gifts and graces, then cut it down. You see, fruit does matter, doesn't it? 
And particularly fruit matters if, if you are the recipient of the reign of biblical preaching and, and, and sound gospel teaching. And, and, and God pours his blessings on you in terms of friends who, who love you and they pray for you. And angels are given to watch over you. And, and God does all these beautiful things. He's, he's, he's placed you in beautiful soil and he's, he, he sows the seed of the gospel and, and showers you with grace and fertilizes you with mercies. Is there fruit? Is there fruit? The writer, as he's looking at these Christians, says, I see fruit. I see fruit. Verse verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things belonging to salvation, because God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you do. So when we're coaching one another, we want to be clear about uh, a failure that we see. We want to be we want to create a category of, uh, that people actually can fall away, that, that if there is not fruit, there's, we're in a dangerous place. But we, we, want to, we want to encourage the saints, not discourage them. And that's exactly what, what Barnabas does. He says, I do see fruit. I, I, we are sure of better things concerning you, things concerning salvation. And the reason is because the Lord has done a work in your life, and there is there's Christian love and Christian work at, uh, that's evident here. Now, that doesn't merit your salvation. It doesn't gain your salvation, but it is a fruit that accompanies salvation. It's evidence of a work of God. That, that is so, it's so assuring. <laughs> if you can look at your life, because the, the devil is not going to tell you about the fruit. And your own convicting conscience isn't going to point out the fruit. You need friends around you who will say, yeah, I know it's hard and, and you failed miserably. You truly have. But, but don't forget the fruit. God is doing the work in your life. Without the Holy Spirit, you would never grieve your sin the way you're grieving it today. Without the Holy Spirit, you would not hunger for holiness the way you hunger for it today. Without the Holy Spirit, you'd never be able to humble yourself and acknowledge your sin the way that you're humbling yourself. Without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be teachable. Without the Holy Spirit, you would have no love for people uh, who are leading you in the, thing, in the things of God. You would have no love for the church of Jesus Christ. And, and I, I know you love the church of Jesus Christ. You see, th- those are things that good friends and Christian coaches, that's the, these are the things we say to each other. And the God who planted that fruit, the God who is creating that fruit and growing that fruit, that God is not so unjust that at the end of uh, of the time, he will ignore his own work. He won't do it. So be be confident. Even as you struggle with dull hearing and struggle with the reality of the Christian life, there's reasons for confidence All I want you to do, the writer says, I want you to have the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. That's what I want for you. That you're moving forward to have full assurance in the gospel, full assurance in the the sufficiency of Christ to save you and the faithfulness of God. I want you to have full assurance that the gospel is able to to save a sinner like you and and that the spirit who's been given is able to make you the sinner into a beautiful saint. I want you to have that 
that full assurance so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. That's what I want. I want you, he wants to see a Christianity that's serious, you see? It's earnest about hope. And, and that, that walks in faith and patience. I, I love that. He, that's how he closes this little thing. He, he doesn't say, I, I want you to do some great act of sacrifice or take a long pilgrimage or, or, or do some strict religious practices. Just two things I want to put before you. Faith, which is an open hand to receive the truth of God and to rest in the power and, and grace of God. So faith and patience. Patience. So we're not there yet. It's going to take a while. Willingness to wait for God to do his work in his time. Now, let me just ask you, isn't that exactly what the mature Christians in your life look like? Think about the mature Christians in your life. Isn't, aren't these the two? Faith, they, they just believe it's true and that God is going to be sufficient and, and it's okay to trust him. It's going to be okay. Faith and patience, we're not there yet. And that, and that bears the, the fruit of love. You see, faith, hope, and love, that's the holy trinity of Christian ethic, of, of Christian walking. That's what the writer wants. Because... He wants us to attain the promise. Friend, let me wrap up just asking you, where are you today spiritually speaking? Where are you today spiritually speaking? The text is, is for you. And, and particularly if you've become dull of hearing, if the word just sounds like noise, and maybe you've been in the church all your life and you've heard the words, you've heard the sounds, the truth is you're not really that interested or you, you, you think you know maybe you should be, but it just doesn't grab your heart. The truth of God has flattened out. Words like grace and faith and hope and love, uh, it just, they just sound worn out. Well, friends, that's a, that's a heart problem. And it doesn't go away by itself. It's a problem that has to be addressed, faced, acknowledged. And it doesn't really matter how you got there. Notice the writer doesn't say how they developed dull hearing. There are many sorts of things can do it. Just flat out weariness can do it. You're just too tired. A worldliness can do it. You're just too engaged in, in the things of this world. Negligence can do it. You just haven't been paying attention and, and focusing on the glory of God and, and, and Christ. Pride can do it. You're, you're, you think you're doing just fine. But it doesn't really matter, you see, how you got there. The issue is if you are there, take action. That's what he's saying. Take action. Repent. Don't settle for this. This is not normal Christianity, even if almost everybody else you know lives like this. I don't, it doesn't matter. Let this be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Repent. Say, Lord, it is true. I don't respond to your word the way I ought to. I don't. It's been a long time since I trembled. It's been a long time since I rejoiced and glorified God because of the word. But I don't want to stay here. Give me the grace to repent. And then get a vision in your life. Get a vision for full assurance of hope. What would that look like? What would be different in your life if you had a robust faith in God, confidence, hope? 
that he holds all things in his hand, including you. Doesn't mean you don't grieve, doesn't mean you don't struggle, but underneath that all there's, there's strength and there's peace because there's hope. So get a vision for that in your life and then pursue it. Pursue it. Join a Bible study, a real Bible study where, where the word is opened and it's understood and it's applied and it's rested in and it's cherished and treasured. Read the Westminster Confession of Faith, particularly if you're a young parent. Read it. Take a class. It's just biblical truth. It's biblical doctrine. Take a class to help you grow in your understanding of these things. Todd Hyde's going to start in one this morning. I expect it's going to be packed. Less time in social media and more time in the Word, and more time in good books and practicing real love. John Piper, I just heard recently, uh, maybe it's been a while back, but he, he he said something like this, your Facebook page will be evidence on the day of judgment how much time you actually had to pray and never did or seldom did. Just think about it. Think about it. When's the last time you walked away from Facebook and thought that was so satisfying? I feel so edified. Pursue things that strengthen your faith. Pursue things that deepen your joy in God. And that's going to look like service and sacrifice. Pursue things that teach you patience in this world as you wait for the blessed appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately pursue him, you see. Pursue Jesus. Look to Jesus. That's the underlying theme in this letter. Get to know Jesus. What's going to help you get to know Jesus? That's what you want to pursue. That's what the author wants to talk to them about. Because Jesus is the believer's life. Jesus is the believer's joy and peace. It's in him that we endure and gain. May God grant it to all of us. Amen. Father in heaven, you know our hearts. We can't hide from you. And you've, you speak, Lord, in your word, direct words to people like us and, and to us individually and corporately. And God, we want to respond in faith and obedience to your word today. We want to confess our dull hearing our spiritual lethargy. And oh God, we want to be people who, who burn with a zeal for God, for Christ, for his word, for his church, for his purposes in the world. That we love him with an undying love. And we do not love our lives even unto death. Father, you've gathered every person here this morning to speak your word. I pray that, Lord, this word from Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 would bear fruit in our life. Fruit of faith, fruit of repentance, fruit of seriousness and growth and joy and faith and hope. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close this morning, number 94, how firm a foundation is laid for your faith in his excellent word.
Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 